Bianca, when you let love down, oh, you let me down. Hear that, Marconi? Check out Stepping Out. That ain't trumpet. Check out Star Ledger, Debbie and Ed, That's their right. co-host. Stepping <laughs> Out, Star Ledger. You're letting me Billboard. down. Billboard magazine, yes. We are. Who was that? That was Mr. Rob Fusari. Wow. His singer. sounded like the Beatles. It was very Beatles-esque, E-S-Q-U-E. Importantly, too. Don't Let Love Down. We actually did a gig with Rob What Fusari a show last, last Wednesday, huh? Rocked the house. The cutting room. Really? It was we, great. We had Steve Walter here last year on Music Biz 101. Ah, I didn't see him that night, though. Was he there? He was there. It was very late. He had his ponytail, and it was a. Uh, mm-hmm. He was very happy with it's the show. It's a great show. show. Yes, we had a class, and we went out to music. Bi- I'm sorry, we went to the cutting room. Bianca was there. Hello, Bianca Russo, our producer. Bianca Russo. And Woo! Bianca what was Russo. on the radio here at eight o'clock? We had a repeat. We had Mike Easterlin, president of Fueled he, by Ramen. Think that was the right one. They did the right one. I forgot to listen. I was assured that the proper show would be played. I was assured, and there was but a blood oath. We haven't oath. heard, have we? No. Okay. But we've heard no complaints. Yes. So who would complain about Brave New Radio 88.7? William Patterson's only radio station. It's the only one we've got. Maybe the president. President Kathleen Waldron. Right. Anyway, what are they listening to right now? Well, right now, we're listening to nothing, but you're listening to Music Biz 101 and more Brave ah. New Radio 88.7 WPSC, Campus William Patterson University. I'm your professor, Dr. And how many more days, Bianca? How many more days? Um... Let's say, let's do math. Uh, what is it? 16 more days? 11. 11? Oh, you're talking about Nashville. Yes. Oh, oh. she's not going to Nashville. She, she graduated. Oh, that's right. She isn't going to Nashville. No. Her we, cohort is. We're going to na- her cohort. That's right. That's right. Heart to heart, formerly. So we Lester. have only one more show, then we go. Then we go, then we come back, and we have another live show. That's and then right. we have brand new shows all through the summertime. We hope. It's gonna have. We're gonna. We're gonna have about forty shows in um, the summertime that are gonna be all recorded, uh, produced by students, happening Great. beginning uh, at the Music Biz uh, Association. So convention. there may be some with two guests. Uh, hmm? There may be some shows with two different guests. Yes, we're gonna have uh, probably fifty-five minute shows, and we right. may have one with twenty-five minutes of this guy, twenty-five minutes of that gal. Mm-hmm. You're mm-hmm. gonna hear the same student hosting or not, but you and I will Great. be. Involved in every single one, we'll have our fingerprint right. on each one. Is so exciting. eleven more days. Eleven more days until we go to Nashville, Tennessee. We should give thanks then to the Music Biz Association. That's yes. what we're talking about. May sixteenth through the eighteenth of this year, twenty sixteen. We, the Music Biz, are going to see Music Biz in the Music City. We'll be in Nashville with a group of students interviewing industry pros, making connections, making things happen. So when we come back to Nueva Jersey, we're going to have the greatest radio show. How many students are coming? Twenty students, not. Not including um, Bianca Russo, our producer, who right. wanted to do something with her family. So how the heck are they going to get there? Where'd they find the money? 
they were able to get the money through two sources. The first source is people we should thank. Van Dyne, Bruno Inc., and White Hat Management with artists like Charlie Puth, Dave Matthews, Sharon Jones, the Dap Kings, and Kiss. There's only one place to go for your band's business management. Go to vb-cpa.com when it's best for you. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile... We should give thanks to somebody else who are helping these 20 students get out and survive in Nashville at Music Business Association. We're giving thanks to Christine Vey. And you know, she's a wealth manager and the president of Vey Wealth Management. Christine has helped many of our professionals at William Patterson mm-hmm. University to manage their investments and plan out their retirement. If you are looking for some guidance on how to plan for your retirement or you have questions on anything, anything, Anything from investments and portfolio management to insurance and retirement planning, you've got to call Christine. You've got to. And she's a award-winning fishing person, too. If you have any questions about right. deep sea fish? She knows everything about halibut. Call her, 732-455-1510. The number again, Bianca, 732. Repeat it, 732. 732. 455-1510. Bianca's going to call right now. You could also email Christine, christine at veywealth.com for advisement. Your values, your money, our focus. Our show tonight will feature a very special guest who has called in. We are going to say hello to him in one moment. First, we want to remind you again, Music Biz 101 and more, Brave New Radio 88.7 WPSC. It's brave. Go to musicbiz101wp.com. Visit us. Sign up for our weekly newsletter. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, the face of the book, at Music Biz with a Z, only one Z, 101 WP. Follow us on, uh, listen to the the Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes podcast. You're going to hear this. Our guest tonight is a wonderful, fabulous person who has come in at the last minute. He has saved our collective buttocks tonight. We had a guest, Brad. Well, don't give him a plug. Yes, well, he's coming back. Uh, So he will be here on May 25th. Brad Prendergast, Mm -hmm. senior counsel from uh, Sound Exchange. Uh, had a, an emergency pop-up. He was not able to be here. So in his stead, we've actually uh, been able to still grab a top-of-the-line. Our council. Our council, yes. We, right. we've, we've got on the line Ron Beanstock. And in 1987, hello, Ron. Hello, gentlemen. Good, okay. good evening. Yes, I'm going to read your fancy bio. Are you ready? Oh, no. There we go. In 1987, Ron opened Beanstalk and Michael to represent both music manufacturers and musicians. The tagline for his practice is, quote, a full-service entertainment and intellectual property law firm, period, unquote. In 1991, Ron was voted one of the top 100 most influential people in the music business by BAM magazine. Ron teaches entertainment law as an adjunct professor at NYU and has also been a music business commentator for NPR, Air America Radio, CNN, and of course, Brave New Radio 88.7, mm-hmm. WPSC on the campus of William Patterson University. Ron has also been a guest lecturer, instructor, and panel moderator for BMI, ASCAP, CMJ, NEMO, South by Southwest, NAM, and many more. He's also a musician who has performed nationally on tour and shows like Late Night with Conan O'Brien. Please, everybody, give a warm welcome to Ron Beanstock. Ron Beanstock. Thank you, Ron. Thank you for that thunderous ovation. I appreciate that. I know your ears must be sore. They must be bleeding from <laughs> screaming. Well, thank you for inviting me on. I'm happy to be of any help at any time to you. You know that. I am very supportive of William Patterson, the music school, and the fabulous job that everybody does there, educating our future uh, musicians of the world. It's uh, probably the most important task there is. And so must... I am honored to be honored to be in your presence both uh, Professor Philip and Professor Marconi. And he's not kidding because he already hired one of ours 
MBA students. That's right. Isn't there anymore, but he did hire Kara Keller. That's right. And he's taken Most stuff. Go, well, let me, let's, let's explain that. It's not like she left in a huff. She <laughs> went off to, uh, to Sony. And right. I have another William Patterson student who is one of our, is, is our um, I guess you would call her executive assistant here, mm -hmm. uh, Beth Amato. So we, we are oh. a constant stream of people from William Patterson in our office and we're very supportive, as you know. And um, uh, I, I speak whenever I can there. And our good pal, George Dassinger, Professor Dassinger, always has um, an interesting class about music biz at some point in his PR class. So uh, I'm always mm -hmm. happy to, to join in. Great. Great. And we want to thank you again for this last minute step in. Uh, I wouldn't have wanted to listen to Dave tell jokes for an hour <laughs> <laughs> or sing. Ron, would you like me to sing for you right now? No. No, actually, uh, okay, that's fine. fine. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, Thank you for the support. But that's a very nice offer. So, <laughs> okay, do, you so want me to, do you want me to start on Sound Exchange and explain the, the different perspective we may have than general counsel for Sound Exchange? Uh, I was just going to actually lead you into that by saying how many musicians come to your office and have not a clue about Sound Exchange? Or maybe I should ask it the other way. How many well, even know about it? <laughs> I would tell you this. And you, and you know, um, you know how it works in, in our office. We we have our clients are from '60s and '70s bands that you know, famous multi-platinum artists playing major shows still, who no idea it existed. Um, all the way to the newest band, sometimes of your students, you know, four or five people, and I inevitably have to explain the music business income streams to them as we all know it, because I separate them, as you know, into four areas, you know, live, merchandise, publishing, and sound recordings. And we have to go through that process regularly. Does anybody walk in my office with a knowledge of sound exchange? It's a one out of 20 shot that I will have that. Mm -hmm. And when they do, they have probably misinterpreted what it is. Inevitably, they make the, um, they're under the misapprehension that, that sound exchange is somehow compositionally based and somehow an extension of performance royalties. Mm -hmm. And I have to pull that back immediately and pull the reins back and say, no, that's not what that is. And, you know, sound exchange is intriguing because most people don't know that it came about through the Digital Millennium Copyright Act and that, um, that it is really sort of a theoretical extension. I'm sorry to be dull on the radio, but a little theoretical extension of a similar idea that the British had. We kind of pulled it into our legislation. And, you know, the history of sound exchange is intriguing to me because if you're unaware of the history of how this came about, I'm going to separate performing royalties from performance royalties. There's, there's some excitement. Yeah. Um, performance perform royalties, which is the compositional side, performing, which is playing on the sound recordings. Um, when the idea of performance royalties, compositionally based performance royalties, ASCAP, BMI, CSAC. When ASCAP first was put together, really in the 20s, you know the labels had no, they weren't, they had no clout. They were tiny. There was no real business there. They all sort of rejected and passed by the idea of participating in uh, performance royalties. And then when they came back to the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. Everybody said, wait, we want a piece of that. We made a mistake before. Mm -hmm. So everybody wants to come back in. So Sound Exchange, in its simplest explanation, is for the streaming of masters or sound recording, recordings 
on non-terrestrial radio. And it is not compositionally based. It doesn't matter if you wrote the song. It just matters whether you're playing, kazoo, bass, guitar, singing. You could be comedy. It could be spoken word. If you are performing on a sound recording and it is streaming non-terrestrial radio and you're a featured performer, something we'll have to talk about, featured performer, then you will have the opportunity to receive income. It's enhanced if you own the sound recording. Not, you may not always. But the split, how it generally works is this way. That let's, just, let's use your typical college band. College band, getting college radio, as we know, terrestrial generally, that's going to be different. We're going to be thinking mostly of ASCAP, BMI, and CSAC for the song itself. We're not going to be getting anything for the ownership of the master. Now, non-terrestrial streaming radio, XM Sirius, um, let's think of some more examples. Pandora. Of that. Pan Pandora, Pandora iHeartRadio, Radio, Satellite Radio, of various types. Um, that is what we're discussing. And if, if it's non-interactive, and that's the whole idea of the streaming side. If you pick a playlist and you're playing a playlist that you picked, you generally won't receive anything from that. It's going to be for non-interactive digital performance. So you don't get to pick it. Old-fashioned radio, our favorite kind, DJ picks it, someone places it and puts it up. That's the streaming we're talking about. And I can tell you financially, because it goes retroactive to 96, that there are artists that we represent that have extraordinary income paid on a quarterly basis from sound exchange um, that are making as much or more than any major artist. You can't tell what will happen on streaming non-terrestrial radio. You can't predict. We're not in the same world as radio promo sometimes here on, on terrestrial radio. We're kind of past that stage. And it's a bit of a level, more of a level playing field. And you could have an act that people will say, well, I'm an independent. I think everybody's independent. And you've heard me say that before. I mean, the Eagles are independent. But um, we have the opportunity to support the band, support the artist, irrespective of genre, through sound, through sound exchange, which is really a relatively new, as we were just discussing, a new income stream that people first are discussing and first finding out now. I, um, I guess about two years ago, I went to the um, adjunct jazz faculty meeting. Uh, and as you know, there's a big jazz department here and some pretty high-level performers are on the faculty. And I explained sound exchange to them. And I also, you know, showed them, told them to register, of course, because there's probably some money for some of them, uh, <clears throat> even if they weren't featured, but they may be in the, the backup band. It could be... P pen pieces of pennies, but still mm -hmm. I wanted them to register. And I also told them that probably non-terrestrial radio is probably better for the jazz musician than the terrestrial. That if mm -hmm. the terrestrial is NPR basically all over the country and, and really almost nothing else. But on non-terrestrial there could be a lot of different little um, you know, jazz stations that are actually playing the music. So they were uh, I'd say out of 40 in the room, I think three or four have heard of him, and one was receiving checks he had registered and so on. So it is, well, it's, it's so... It's disappointing to hear that, but yes. you know, you do your best. 
but I think I think the difference there is that there, and I know I'm going to talk about jazz very separately for one second. Having worked with and, and play with so many jazz artists, um, the issue with most jazz artists, uh, particularly if I'm talking 50 and older, that there is a, a, we have a rethrow. It's a retroactive mentality mm-hmm. of yeah, I put out records, man, they're just fodder for my gigs. Right. As if as if we're all piling into a Cadillac in 1955 and driving to gigs together. Exactly. You know, the, the bass strapped to the roof. Exactly. It is. It, it, we, we need to get away from that. It, mm-hmm. We're in a new world. Everybody has an opportunity to make a good living as a musician if you're creative enough and you're thoughtful enough as to your craft and what it is that you're putting out and how to follow up on all these things. Um, I agree with you that non-terrestrial, could have, you know, with all the stations on XM Sirius playing jazz, uh, could be one tremendous way of supporting yourself, paying for your next record, which is what everybody's always thinking about. What's the next thing I'm going to do? How am I going to put it out? I'm, I'm not disappointed. I'm disappointed, but I'm not surprised from what you're telling yeah, me. Yeah, exactly. The jazz world has got to get into a different mentality. You know, if you put out, we're going to talk about mechanicals as a separate issue. I know we have to discuss all of these differentiations, but and I want to hop around a whole lot. But you know, the conversation I have with people about records. Here's a classic. So, famous jazz guitar player um, on famous major jazz label, represented him for years. I'm just letting you know he's a bit of a cranky guy. Calls me up and says, "How do I make any money? I don't make any money for my records, Ron." And I said, "Well, you have nine covers mm-hmm. on that record, the last record. You had nine covers. <laughs> so if we're going to suggest that it's your deal is a seventy-five percent mechanical standard sort of deal, not well negotiated. Most people don't have a hundred. Mm-hmm. So if a hundred percent right now is nine point one, six point eight five, right. let's say there's a ten eleven cap on your deal with the label. You right. know, not a, this is pretty standard stuff. You're gonna roughly have like seventy two point five to seven point seven point five cents or seventy five cents total that you can get in mechanical income. Mm-hmm. So let's give away ninety percent of that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and then we'll say we don't make any money from our records. Well, who who's to blame for that? Mm-hmm. You know that. That's a choice you've made. You've made a choice to do those covers, and maybe General Rain's been done before. Maybe your version's fantastic, but maybe it's been done before. Right. And maybe the Beatles cover wasn't necessary. Mm-hmm. But this is the mentality in the jazz world I deal with all the time, is that it's, it's, they go to label deals where they'll get no advance, uh, they won't own the masters, um, won't receive a royalty, um, but they're on a label. And I say, well, look at the label's doing for me. And I say, well, why can't you can do that for yourself? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a whole other discussion because many times they even go into the, the uh, session not even know what they're going to play. They mm-hmm. decide at the session, okay, let's do uh, whatever, you know, a standard, right. a standard, a standard, a standard, not even to check if they're public domain or anything. And they wind up paying the mechanic, uh, you know, the... Uh, they have to pay the mechanical, sure. Right, outgoing mechanical at 9.1 cents, so it's a loss factor, right? Yeah. So 9.1 going out, so it's going to be crossed against. So if their deal is a cross-collateralized deal, which means that income they don't that a label doesn't recoup from the artist royalties is recouped against the mechanicals, then as, as a cross-collateralized deal, you're you're on the downside. Mm-hmm. The penny penny plus per song you've covered. This is 
and those pennies count, and that's my that's my thing. I tell everybody. It, I know people talk about the music business; it's a nickel and dime business, but they're your nickels and dimes. Go collect them. Right. Sound Exchange is the perfect example of here it is. It's found. I'll help you do it, and, and I'll, I'm going to give a little sidebar moment here. Um, two law firms met with Sound Exchange when they first came into being. Uh, one of them was us, mm-hmm. Beanstalk and Michael, and the other was Greenberg Traurig, another you know, major firm, a lot bigger than we are, but, you know, major, major firm. There were five people attending this initial meeting with the sound exchange guys. <laughs> and I'm, I'm letting you know, I know I'm on the air saying this, but I'm talking to you guys like we're all in the living room together, um, which is what radio is great for. I said, I'll be the guinea pig for, for us. I'll put myself in all the records I played on, including some very awful records from the mm-hmm. 70s and 80s. Um, that I played on. Let me see what I collect. Let me see how the featured issue works. I wasn't sure. We weren't clear yet about what featured meant. Mm -hmm. So it became very clear to me if I was in the band, it doesn't have to be called the Ron Beanstalk band, which is probably a terrible name, but if I'm in the band, I'm featured. Mm -hmm. If it's the Billy Joe Bob band, Billy Joe Bob may be collecting it and never paying me anything because his name's on it. Mm Mm-hmm. If it's the Orange Sunshine, you know, band, no trademark infringement calls, please, um, and we're all part of that, we share equally into that same income stream. We're featured. Mm-hmm. So if you put a solo jazz record, guitar jazz record out, and it's just you, and you own the masters, let me do the breakdown for you. It's 45% on featured artists. It's 50% going to the people who own the sound recordings. Now you know the lobbyist group that worked that up. <laughs> and the 5% left over is for the non-featured musicians. All right. So the first check I got, I think, was $77. Mm-hmm. And I said, great, found money. Let me look at this. What went wrong? Well, I realized we didn't probably index things correctly. I thought I was featured on certain things. No, I was not featured. I'm the 5% on those. And some, some of those records sold really well. Mm-hmm. But I'm not featured. So some of the thought process with uh, particularly more of the journeyman uh, musicians who have played on a lot of records, they said, ka-ching, and I said, "Mm, more like (laughs) kling. It's not the same thing. If it's your solo record, you're probably going to do ten times if you played on a major album with a major artist but you're not featured. Mm. And this has always been the the struggle with Sound Exchange, the the issue of featured, non-featured. The 5% left over goes to, you know, sometimes the F of M special funds. Very few people are AFM. I am still AFM 802, letting you know that. A bit of a, you know, throwback again. But these are the things that SoundExchange can bring in. And SoundExchange is, to me, one of the mandatory issues that when you're going through the income streams, it's the first place to start because... If you understand it comes from the sound recordings and nothing else is important, nothing else matters right now, you just have to just get involved, think it through, register. If you need our help, call us. That's fine. We do. But we understand that the idea of indexing and registration, because I want to move into the PROs for a second, the idea of registration and indexing some people find very vexing, and they're, they're afraid of that. And we have to get past that. Most of the younger audience listening will understand that you, your knowledge of things online are 
not idiosyncratic. They are idiosyncratic to perhaps older people. They're not to you. They're second nature. Go and do this. Mm-hmm. But, but okay. where it changes, if I, if I can go on to the PROs, is that well, okay? Well, before you do that, I just want to yeah. um, clarify for the listeners, uh, number one, that uh, you can be in a band called the Ballpoint Banana or whatever, and as long <laughs> as you're in the band and that's your album, you are considered a featured artist. You're not going to be, as long as you're part of that band, that's the, the band is the feature artist. So you won't, be, you won't be getting part of the 5%. You'll be getting some of the uh, 45%. However, and if the, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, but if you go, think of a song like uh, Peg by Steely Dan. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, Steely Dan really is Walter Becker and uh, Donald Fagan. So right. uh, when Peg is played, they would be the featured artists. Michael McDonald, who sang backup, while a very famous musician, he just sang backups on that. So he would be the he would get a portion of the five percent for that, probably. That's that's correct. Unless okay. there's some other. Yeah. Now we it's also the, have producers. We also make we make side deals with producers who want to participate in Sound Exchange. Another mm-hmm. issue which isn't brought up very often. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so it's possible producers to also participate. But going it's, back to the Ballpoint Banana Band, which uh, I love their third album. Um, the Ballpoint Banana Band, as a great example, the way to resolve all of these issues, if you're going to be making this a career, is to form the LLC, have an operating agreement, have your intra-band language in the operating agreement that lays out what your splits are from all income streams, including sound exchange. We're all done. Quoting the lyrics, signed, sealed, delivered. Everything's fine. Everything works out. No discussions, no arguments. Where you fall short of that is the person who was in the band, played on several tracks, gets pushed out of the band, says, I was in the band, but I'm not in the band. Mm-hmm. If we have an intra-band with an operating agreement and intra-band language, we conquer all, and we never have the problems of having you know, three bands called Rat, two bands called Fog Hat, right. uh, four <laughs> bands called Beach Boys. So the second thing I wanted to bring up was that uh, we were talking as Ron... Uh, explained we are talking about non-terrestrial radio. So, Mm -hmm. in other words, we're not talking about mm, KISS FM or whatever. In that Mm -hmm. case, we are still one of the few developed countries that do not pay anyone any money for performing uh, on that recording when it gets a spin on the radio. So, if you're Madonna and you didn't write the tune and the it's number one all over the world. Uh, let's say it's all over the country to make it easier. Uh, that Madonna is not getting any money for any of the spins. So consequently, that's why we have what we call the performance rights organizations that deal with the writer and the publisher of this of the material. Uh, and I think it goes back to 1950s. I think Frank Sinatra and all those guys was were trying to put it through. Uh, this this uh, performing right on terrestrial, but radio was so powerful that they never actually could get it through. It's interesting. Historically, it goes back to the twenties, all the way back, mm-hmm. all the way back. And ASCAP was was really. It says it says you know uh, Society of Composers and Publishers, but it was really the publishers. Yeah. Um, because most of the publishing deals in those days were awful, and not for conversation's sake today. Another day, another time. Mm-hmm. But goes back to the 20s, and originally the purpose was live performance, literally in, in a concert hall or, or a venue. And it was 
that was the beginning, and then radio began to take hold in the 30s. It changed dramatically, theoretically, with World War II outbreak because every radio station in the 40s had a a band, whether it was someone who played accordion or you had a 30-piece or 40-piece NBC orchestra. And when the war broke out and we was drafted or, or volunteered, we now moved into two directions. We had all women orchestras, little known fact, yep. and or we spun records. And the spinning of the records kind of enhanced the value of ASCAP. BMI got formed around 1958 when there was an antitrust lawsuit involving ASCAP saying, how could you have only one of these? And a judge actually named Broadcast uh, Music Incorporated. He named it himself and said, here, boom, new company. And then CSAC followed in the latter, the early part of the 60s. And you had these performance royalty organizations. Should I just hop in there? Should I just go there? That's our segue? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So PROs are entirely misunderstood what their very purpose is. That's a simple question, by the way, uh, Professor McConey. When I talk to people and I say, do you know what they do? Inevitably, they have that also wrong. Mm -hmm. ASCAP, BMI, and CSAC do the same thing. They collect performance royalties from radio and TV airplay. If we start with radio, radio stations pay a blanket license fee every year to these three performance royalty organizations, PROs. Then depending on what you do, listener, what you do as writer and publisher, let's go to our uh, banana, uh, banana, what was it again? Ballpoint banana. Our ballpoint banana, banana ballpoint, whatever it was, ban. If you are a writer, and let's clear the air, what writer means, lyrics, half, music, half, music meaning chords, melodies, half, not drummer, bass player guy, who says, I wrote my drum parts or my bass parts, unless the song is the bass part. That is how we put that together. So let's say we have this band, and the band is a duo, make it easier. They share everything. The two people in the band share everything. So we have a hit. And our hit is um, I Write Like You, trying to keep with our ballpoint. And <laughs> that gets airplay. And you've decided, let's say the two of you are going to be with ASCAP, BMI, or CSAC. Let's just say ASCAP for today. You join ASCAP as a writer and a publisher. If you, if you are composing a song, you're a writer and a publisher. Until you make an agreement that does something with the copyright, which is the publisher share, Unless you do something agreement-wise there, you are a writer and a publisher at all times, which is why you must affiliate with ASCAP, BMI, and CSEC as a writer and a publisher. And with anybody answering the phone at BMI specifically, sorry, going to pick on you guys, my good pals there, will always say, you know, don't worry about that. You could just be Billy Joe Bob, and we'll send you the checks to that name. That is a problem. Mm-hmm. You must be a publisher. If you don't have a publishing affiliate, then I can never make an administration deal for you. I can't make it in your name. It has to be Billy Joe Bob Music slash BMI. An administration deal is a a deal to go collect income outside the U.S. you can't collect on your own. And it's not a publishing deal. It's a deal, if you will, where someone takes the copyright for the sole purpose of saying, I have the right to collect for that publisher. Mm-hmm. So back to PROs. So PROs, back to radio and our song. Our song, once we've indexed, and this is the big problem, again, the unwillingness to participate in your career, if you don't index your share of the song, both as a writer and a publisher, 
just so we're clear, ASCAP is 50-50, same thing. BMI has 100-100, same thing. Don't be put off by that nomenclature. The number's the same, the theory's the same. CSAC is 100-100. If you index and tell everybody, the two of us are co-writers, we're both 50% of writer's share. The two of us, our one entity, we're calling ourselves um, Screaming Bullet Music slash ASCAP, we will collect, and whatever our deal is amongst ourselves as our split with the publisher, we will collect and split ourselves. If you don't index, think of it as water coming down a chute. You stand aside, it goes by you. If you put the dam into the chute and say, writer share this direction, publisher share this direction, you have accomplished the task of earning income for radio play as a writer and a publisher. If you don't do that, you'll never collect. That is always the conversation in my office. They say, oh, I never did that. Mm -hmm. Next, you move into television. PRO, income from television. Everybody wants placements. They all want sync licenses to be done. Sync license is the synchronization license, and it goes back to like 1915 language that says that you as publisher have the right because you own the copyright, to allow third parties to synchronize your music, your composition, within a moving picture, and hence the word synchronization. And everything in the music business revolves around, as you guys know, some new technological change. So that's 1915 for you. Mm-hmm. So we, do it, we, we get a sync license with Grey's Anatomy. The production company contacts us. They say they want to use our song from, you know, Banana Point Bullet, uh, Banana Point Guys are over there in that band. And they're like, I like to write. And they have a sync license deal with you, with your publishing company. And it so happens you own the sound recording. So there's the master use license portion of the deal because you own the sound recording. It goes into the show. We now get performance royalties for that play on television. If we've indexed, if we've indexed, we will earn. Mm-hmm. And Primetime Network is the best payer. And I think uh, that's ABC. So that's radio and that's TV play in terms of PROs and what their function is. But they're not your publisher, another crazy fallacy. They're not your publisher. You're the publisher. You're the writer and the publisher. They're just collecting money on your behalf. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, and people always tell me, well, I, I, I want to change. I hear one's better than, than the other. I, I have no ax to grind here. I think they're all doing their job. You have a personal pick, that's great. But if you don't opt out in your window, which is roughly a two-and-a-half-year period, and you must give notice, you can't change. And I recommend everybody just generally leave what you have there and do a new catalog rather than have it switch and get mm-hmm. caught up. Mm-hmm. The next thing everybody always asks me, by the way, is what happens to international play. And that's collected by the affiliates who pay over to ASCAP, BMI, and CSAC from foreign territories. It's twice a year comes through. And that's going to be Jazz Rack in Japan, GEMA in Germany, PRS in England, and they pay back over. And so you'll collect for foreign play as long as you've indexed. Mm-hmm. But but Ron, don't um, since we don't. I'm, okay, no, we're talking pros. See, this is where the confusion comes. Because I was just going to say, because we don't pay um, for performance here. I'm trying to think. Because oh, oh, so, uh, but they do overseas. 
Um, so the money, okay, so the money that uh, domestic United States artists would receive from, let's say, uh, I'm the Banana Ballpoint Band, um, based in the U.S., my song gets a ton of airplay in France. Um, we will collect from our performance rights organization, but we will never collect from the, for the performing uh, of that song because the in the United States we don't pay anybody for that, so therefore that money never comes to me. Separate, overseas, let's right? separate a sound recording from composition. We're getting right. paid on the composition in France. Right, right. but we're not getting paid on the publisher. We're right. not getting paid whatsoever on the sound for, for the sound recording. Sound exchange on non-terrestrial radio will pick up that income for right. us. In terms of domestic PPL, picks up whatever sound exchange does not collect for in terms of territories. So let's extend around the world. So we have PPL for outside the territories that sound exchange doesn't collect for. And we basically cover ourselves now with one left hand out here, meaning I wish I was on television for one minute. Um, left hand is out is the sound recording. Right hand is out. That's the composition. Two very different things. Two very separate copyrights. So if people theoretically see the copyrights as two separate copyrights, I think it becomes easier to understand. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Should I go into mechanicals? Yeah. Because I know well, I how about, the people confuse that one. How about the other part of uh, performance for live that ASCAP BMI and CSEC? All right. 200, 200 top grossing tours in the U.S. will earn real money. Um, in theater, if we call it, or in venue play for, let, let's take a client of ours who's doing a major tour where they're going to be playing to 10 to 20,000 people a night. And this is a real number I'm giving you. They're doing, let's say they're doing 10,000, 15,000, 20,000 tops a night. And they're doing their set. It's a two and a half hour full show. Um, that two and a half hours, they will probably earn from venue play in Europe, it could be two hundred to $250,000. Mm -hmm. That's the exception to the rule. If you are playing small venues, it's your material, small venues, it's going to be much smaller money. And then coming to the United States, there's that fallacy thinking that if I play my songs um, at the bitter end, I'll make money. You'll make pennies, if anything. Mm -hmm. So that's the reality of the factor. 200, 200 top grossing tour U.S. and then in play. And there's also a little known fact about performance royalties in in Europe, is that you'll get a performance royalty on uh, in theater if you're in films on on placement in a film. You'll get for trailers and things of that nature. You'll get paid in Europe. Yeah. Oh, yes. Little known fact. Yeah. So if you're in the movie, you actually will do better in Europe than you'll do here. But you'll make more here when your movie is shown on television. <laughs> right. Sorry, I had to get it all out there i know so. because because movie theaters in the united states do not pay the pros correct that's correct yeah okay that's correct yeah if you um it could if you spent all day thinking of left hand right hand what's going on here you would go somewhat crazy but if you can just if you're diligent in just executing things that matter to you in your career and don't take the position that somebody else will take care of that for me doesn't ask cap BMI or CSEC, don't they do that for me? No. Doesn't Sound Exchange do that for me? No. Mm -hmm. You must take control of your destiny as a musician in terms of making a living as a musician. You must understand that you have responsibility here. And boy, I know I sound like dad, but I'm really tough about this. 
and I don't care if it's the 85-year-old, you know, jazz guitar player or it's the 8-year-old, you know, singer. The theory is the same. You have to take control of this. You have mm-hmm. to understand that it's, in, it's at your hands. You can do this. And don't let that go by. But as we started in the conversation, there's so many people who say, um, I didn't know that existed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then they, and they stop right there. As they say in England, full stop, don't go any further. They right. won't complete, <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's true. Okay, do we have a tweet, uh, Dave? Um, yeah, Ron, do you mind if I read a tweet out to you real quick? Fire away. Okay, quick question from Joe Spinelli. Uh, how does an artist or band get involved with sound exchange? Is it a time-consuming process? No. Well, it is because it requires a little bit of diligence, and I understand mm-hmm. that. People come to us to do that for them, we, and we do it. But if you're doing it yourself, I, I don't think that it's a daunting task. I think that it's pretty self-explanatory. Um, you, if you're, it's your band and you're, and you're, or you're a solo artist and you have a record and, you're, and you are in some type of streaming format, let's just go do it. Let's just let's get affiliated. Takes a, you, know, it, you affiliate with SoundExchange, it'll take about 30 days to get through the system, and you have to, just like you would be doing for, now I'm sorry to make the analogous version, and that'll be confusing, but you still have to put your material in. You have to say what you played on. Mm-hmm. And, there are for, and there are little pro forma things, like you're going to have to give them a copy of your driver's license and things of this nature, things that people say, what? And they say, yes. They want to know that's you, that you're affiliating as you, that you're not another person. It is the music business, after all. And, and we should add that uh, Sound Exchange has distributed billions of dollars to various people. <laughs> yeah, about a bil- they put out about a billion dollars so far. Um, we're incredibly supportive, as you know, for that, that first meeting. I'm incredibly supportive. I'll put a different hat on entirely. Um, as a musician, and by the way, shameless plug, uh, I'm playing the Cutting Room on May 13th, headlining in the Cutting Room with Rich Talanda and Flying Dreams for yeah. a new LP that comes out um, in 10 days. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, sorry, second second New York gig supporting this album. We just played the Hall at MP in Brooklyn, and I recommend a fabulous venue there, about a 500-seater. Um, I like to be positive, and I am. Uh, great venue, great sound, great people, Hall at MP in Brooklyn. There's a kid's, it was called it a shout-out. And, of course, Steve runs the cutting room in New York, and he mm-hmm. is fabulous, and we love playing there. Sorry, sorry shameless plug. Um, back to uh, the tweet. Did I cover everything? Yeah. I mean, just that you're going to uh, – we know Joe. He's a graduate student, and um, he's got it in him to, <laughs> to fill out the registration, I'm sure. Joey, if you get stuck – um, it's R. Beanstalk at Music ESQ. Write me. We'll help you. And Joe's a jazz drummer. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that we have the discussion about jazz. So that, that's, yeah. that's good. Exactly. Um, Nathaniel, at the Lax Boy, wants to know, what can an artist do to gain proper law knowledge and support, some, support themselves when a music lawyer isn't available to them? Meaning, I'm, I'm guessing they don't have... They don't think they have the money. Read. Well, they have to, that's something they have to stop with. That, that, that's something I've heard for 30-something years. I couldn't afford a lawyer, so I signed a bad deal. Right. <laughs> okay, that, let's look at the logic of that. You want to pay me now? You want to pay me later? Mm-hmm. It's not some crushing, wallet-emptying moment to speak to a qualified entertainment attorney. I, I, you just have to get out of that head. It's just wrong. You know, if you can't, if you can't 
you know, work that out. Wait till you can, but don't sign anything. Don't don't commit to things. It, the thing isn't show up at my office and say I signed this. Is is this bad? <laughs> you know, oh, did I do a bad thing here? Is this is this bad? Um, it's right. an everyday occurrence. And then, the, but the response is, you know, when people say to me, "Well, you know, hey, I I, I couldn't afford you at the time," and I said, "Well, did you know what that would cost?" Well, I just assumed to be really expensive, man. Well, yeah. so is that new PRS, or so is that new, you know, MTD base, and so is that new Sadowski 5. Right. Yeah. I, right? We got it. But you didn't even ask. Mm-hmm. And if you sent me an email, you know, you guys know, I'd write them back. Mm-hmm. The gig here is to make everybody as successful as we can within their music business. You know, it's not about people drawing judgments on what you play, how you play. I, I, that's your business, literally, what you play. If you want to play, you know, odd time, you know, death metal klezmer, you do it. <laughs> I'm, I'm here to support you. But that whole thing about, hey, you know, I couldn't afford it, man. It's not open to me. I, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I'm going to be a little tough on that. I'm just not buying that. You know what? I'm just not buying that one. You're going to have to figure out how to make that work for yourself or else you make mistakes. I don't know. I know a little about dentistry, but I do very little with drilling into my own head. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good, good point. I usually tell people that with uh, brain surgery. Yeah, right. But um, yeah. you told uh, – you were on uh, – you were here about a year ago. And on the radio, was, yeah. yeah. On the radio. I think it was off the air after the show was over. You told a brief story about uh, you had dealt with a client who used – Basically, mom and dad's uh, real estate attorney or, or somebody somewhere down like Virginia or something, some band you dealt with, oh, yeah. who did not use a music business lawyer. Can you kind of explain why people need to use a music business lawyer as opposed to just any other lawyer? All right. I, I don't want this to be some self-promotional moment. It's not. But it, it's, it's this. Um, I made the analogous thing to luthiers, great guitar and bass builders. Mm-hmm. Um, I, if I had a furniture maker, I wouldn't take one of my favorite five or six string, you know, MTDs or Sadowskis over and say, dude, can you, can you refinish this for me? <laughs> that wouldn't be what you would do. No drummer listening is going to say, hey, man, can you carve my shells up a little bit? That's not what it is. Very few people are music business lawyers for a living. A lot of people, would like, there, there are a number of people who are relatively faux, who want to claim that they are. I'm sorry, this is being tough, but... I don't do real estate closings mm-hmm. for a really important reason. I don't do criminal law for a really important reason. I am a music, music business, film, TV, written works guy for 30-something years because this is what I love to do. It's not a job. It's not a day gig. I love doing this. So I stay on top of everything, and I'm voracious about knowing everything there is I possibly can know. No, I can't know everything. But I try to know as much as I possibly can to be able to guide anybody who walks in my door to say, this is what you should do. If you are a real estate person and really good at real estate, that's a full-time job. You can't be real estate 95% of the time and 5%, let me take care of your record deal with Epic. It's just probably not going to work out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the, the story, I remember that your, your staffer had asked me about that. He said, you know, can you give me examples of things gone wrong? And I said, I can give you many. They're every day. They walk in the door every day. But that particular circumstance was very, very clear. That was a record deal with a major, and now they're all 360, which is 
more complex with ancillary income and you know just in sheer size of the agreements the number of literal pages now it's a to have anybody suggest I'll handle that for you <clears throat> as, a, as a favor is already a, a, a frightening thought. Those are very complex deals. Your very livelihood is at stake. Everything you've worked for can be bollocked up right now or can go relatively smoothly, or do you want to make this deal at all? Mm -hmm. And those are things that cannot be done on an offhand basis. They're not something taken lightly. This is your future. So... We, we get it's a funny thing about people who who will suggest you know uh, I couldn't afford to have that done if you have a major record deal taking place the label's going to pay for your attorney mm -hmm. comes as a shock when I tell everybody that mm -hmm. if you have a small independent deal no lawyer worth anything no music business lawyer worth anything is going to be charging you more than anything the deal was ever worth and if they do run away Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you got to find who you trust. You know, it's like management. Same thing. It's mm -hmm. a trust issue. So you're going to make that decision based upon who you vibe with and who you don't vibe with. But it's very difficult to suggest that somebody has a level of expertise in everything there is to do legally and, <laughs> and suggest that they can do everything for you. I certainly can't. And then you would ask me, David, why was I merging with a larger firm earlier today? Right. This is exactly the reason. Mm -hmm. Exactly the reason that I could then have someone who does trust in the states, which brings the whole Prince thing into view. We were talking about this off the air before that, you know, I'm merging with a much larger firm, so I'm going to be their entertainment and IP section, but four doors down, I'll have a trust in the states expert. So I can walk over and say, I need a will for this artist and I need a living trust for this artist, mm -hmm. things of that nature. So, and those, because those things change every day. Laws change every day. Statutes change every day. Mm -hmm. We have only a little time left. Let's just uh, talk about the uh, the other stream, the mechanical uh, sure. license, which we didn't get to. All right, I I want to run through this because this one is publishing 101. It's if you have a mental picture of what publishing is. Uh, on a blackboard, the left side of the board is the writer's share. The right side of the board is publisher's share. One of the chief income streams, we've already kind of done performance royalties. We've done sync licenses. Let's go down to the next one. That's mechanical income. Mechanical income comes from the very word mechanical piano player role. 1908, uh, White Smith case, White Smith music versus Apollo. One of my favorite things of all time when Supreme Court justices, and we can count on them to do this, mm -hmm. said, wait a minute. You publishers of the day, you guys making sheet music, you want a royalty on something that's got holes in it that plays itself in the piano? Mm -hmm. No way. We're not doing that. Because that's just a piece of machinery. We're not going to give that to you. Yeah, parts of instruments. Once it, sorry? It was called parts of instruments. Parts of instruments. Right. He said, we're not giving it to you. <clears throat> and and we're not going to, we don't understand that technology. So all the publishers got together, lobbied for the, the 1909 Copyright Act, and said, please, Congress, because we can't defeat a Supreme Court decision, we need to legislate this. Give us something. Every time one of those panel player roles is sold, give me what I would have gotten if it had been paper, like a piece of sheet music. Congress agreed. Here we go. Mechanical royalties. We'll give that to you. 
2.5 cents. And then it'll become a panel player role into the first cylinder records, and it goes to the flat records, and you go now to digital downloads. And nothing has changed. The fear of mechanical income is if somebody, a third party, puts out a composition that you've written and you're the publisher onto a sound carrier of any form, they're going to have to pay you a mechanical royalty. That's going to be paid to the publishing company you are, Billy Joe Bob Music, whatever it is. And if it's your standard mechanical license, there should be another reason why it isn't. If your friend's band covers it and puts it out, they'll have a mechanical license with your publishing company. They'll pay you 9.1 cents every time one of those sound carriers is sold. If it's a full LP, 9.1 cents coming off the total. If it's a digital download, 9.1 cents coming from the digital download. Mm -hmm. Mechanical yeah. income is straightforward, quantitative. It's a little different in Europe and outside the U.S. U.S. and Canada run the same rate outside the U.S. We are basing it upon what the price of the product was, or PPD, price per dealer, if you will. Mm -hmm. And we have a little bit of a different number, and it's a little bit higher. And we need someone else to collect that for us, hence that whole thing about an admin deal. When we go get somebody to collect it, they take 10 or 15%. It's not a publishing deal. They're collecting income for a term or a time length. We allow them to do that. And it comes back to us when we're done. Mm -hmm. Mechanical income is one of those things that takes me a little bit of going over for people to get that one. <clears throat> they generally say, wait, yes, publisher share. If you make a bad publishing deal and assign all your publishing share to somebody's company, all you're left is with writer share, you don't receive that. Hence, have somebody look over that agreement. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that someone would be Ron Beanstalk. And we are out of time ah. on Beanstalk. So that was perfect. Was that a good time, a good segue? That was pretty great. Working really hard. But, yeah, that was great. It was This whole thing has been really great. This very has been good. a very quick we started talking to you about 8.08. It's 8.55. You do the math, but that's like uh, 110 minutes. So yeah, uh, it was great to have you here, Ron, sure. on Music Biz. Ron Beanstalk, Music Biz Attorney. Again, how can people get in touch with you, Ron? Um, MusicESQ.com is our website. Uh, all the information is there. MusicESQ.com. Easy one to remember. Everybody says, what's ESQ mean? If you have to ask that, boy, okay. But that <laughs> means Esquire as a lawyer guy. So musicesq.com is the way to, to find us. All right. And Ron okay. Beanstalk, lawyer guy, thank you so much for being, uh, especially at last minute. Very, It means a yes. whole lot to us. So really appreciate oh, it. Oh, David, Stephen, I, I really you. appreciate the opportunity. It's an honor. That's great. Okay. So thank you, Ron. We'll speak again very soon. Congratulations on your merger as well. Yes. Thank you very much. Thank Talk you. to you gentlemen soon. Bye-bye. And then we are... Ending our show. This has been a wonderful Music Biz 101 week? and more. Next week, Jason Hobbs is going to be our uh, guest. Yes, Jason, the ball player. Uh, no, that's uh -huh. very close. It's practically the same thing. He's the director of digital for Machine Park, which is, uh, I'm sorry, Machine Shop, which is owned by the uh, band Lincoln Park. Yes. And uh, he's been there for about a little over a month. He's a great guy. I already had a couple conversations with him. That's going to be great. So, uh, for let's see, we have Bianca Russo, who's been doing an amazing job behind the board. The Bianca entire Russo. semester. No, entire semester. That's right. Thank you, Bianca. Thank you, Bianca. I want, I'm trying to get her to say something. Say. Thank you. <laughs> all right, Bianca. Is there so her union allow her? To, I don't that's, know. That's that's all she's allowed to say. Every she's after. I know. So yeah. as we leave, we are. Uh, by the way, thank you all to the tweeters. Uh, we're listening to Rob Fusari. Don't let love down. Get this single on iTunes. Stream it on. Um, 
Spotify, or you can find the video on the YouTube. Go to musicbiz101wp.com. Do everything you want there with us. We want to thank you for listening. We will be back next week, every Wednesday. And then yes. now go to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, listen to the podcast. But for uh, myself, I am with my good friend, Dr. Esteban. Marconi. Yes, right. No relation. No relation to yourself. And then I am a Professor David Kirk Philp. And instead of hello at this point of time, we are always going to say to you, Adios! your hand in mine and couldn't play in time